0: Psalm 16, and I'm also going to uh, remind you of the series that we are in. We've titled this series, Listen to Jesus. And what we are doing in this series is we are trying to rid ourselves of anything that we think we know about God that we cannot find in the person of Jesus, because we want to build our lives on the foundation that is Christ. Amen? Amen. And in Luke chapter 9, one of our theme verses for this series, the Bible says that Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John to a mountain to pray. And before their eyes, Jesus is is being transfigured. He's, his face is shining. His clothes are shining. Something supernatural is happening, so much so that when Peter recognizes it, he, he gets excited because not only is Jesus there, but Moses and Elijah are there. And Peter makes this statement. He says, hey, Jesus, since Moses and Elijah are here, how about we build a, a, you know, a tent for all three of you? This is a massive moment. The Bible says that in that moment, that darkness kind of covers the scene. And God speaks from heaven and says uh, to Peter and to, to James and to John, he says, this is my son. Listen to him. At that time, the Bible says that Moses and Elijah weren't there anymore. And the focus became Jesus. And we find out that Jesus, the Bible teaches us, is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus said about himself, he said in the Gospel of John, he said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And we are thankful for Moses and Elijah, and we are thankful for for Father Abraham. But before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. And uh, even though they told an incredible story, I'm thankful for the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is an incomplete story. Jesus is the fullness of the story. And I'm thankful that he came on the scene to reveal to us exactly who God the Father is. The Bible says that he is the full radiance, the full expression of God Himself. And so when somebody comes to you and they says, well, that verse in Leviticus says, or that verse in Deuteronomy says, well, you tell them that verse in Leviticus was waiting for Jesus to tell you what that verse really meant. Come on somebody. It's a great story, but it's an incomplete story without Jesus. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 says this, it says that those in the Old Testament, those believers, they died having not seen the fulfillment of the promise. So I don't build my life on anything that isn't revealed in Christ. Someone said this. I just heard this recently. I thought this was powerful. They said, the Old Testament is not a story of sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's a story of God in the hands of angry sinners. Okay. I could just walk away and leave you with that and let that just sit with you for a little bit. Psalm 16, 7 through 11 says this. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol or hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We ask over these moments we have together that you would speak clearly to us. Thank you that you've either brought us in this room today or you have us watching online. And if we are listening in today, it's because you have something you want to say to us. So thank you for Seeing through all of time and having this moment of time prepared for us to speak to us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. If I was your enemy, and I'm not, but if I was your enemy, I would do anything I could to keep you from the presence of God. The psalmist wrote there, he said, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If I was your enemy, the one thing I would spend my time doing is trying to keep you from the presence of God. And I would do it by starting with you having an assumption that as a believer, his presence is, is a place you go and not your new home. Do you hear what I said? I said, I would keep you from his presence, but I would also, to keep you from his presence, I would start you out, I would begin with you living under the assumption that his presence is a place you go and not your new home. As a believer, the Bible teaches us that God is always present with us and we are always present with him. My awareness of His presence can change and I can experience uh, levels of His presence that are different from others as I become more aware. But I am, as a believer, never outside of the presence of God. I am always in His presence. Sometimes when I was... Younger, I, I used to believe things like, you know, if you go see that movie or you go to that place or you hang out with those friends that God literally leaves you and sets on the outside of that movie theater and waits for you to come out of that terrible movie because God will never go into those terrible places with you. But the, the Old Testament tells me that even if I make my bed in hell, he will go there, come on somebody, to find me, to recover me, to get me. God doesn't leave me. He is always with me. Ephesians 1.13-14 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. You are right now... The possession of God. Ephesians 2, 4-6 through 6 says this, But God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Jesus. This is not just a future thing that is going to happen in your life. This is your present reality. You are at this moment. I know it doesn't feel like it because you are seated in this room, but your real realities, the thing that is more real than the room you're sitting in, is that you are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Is there anybody in the room thankful for that today? That I am with him and he is with me. Number two, I would convince you that eternal life is something that starts when you die and not your present reality. Because what does this do? This keeps you second-guessing your salvation and fills you with fear about life after death. If I can make you believe that you are waiting for eternal life to begin until you die, then I could I could convince you that You are not currently living in eternal life. You are not currently His possession. You are not currently in His presence. And I could fill you with fear about what will happen to you after you die. Jesus said in John 11 and 26, He He said, Everyone who lives in Me and believes in Me will never die. A couple Reasons is because you can't kill what's already dead. I have been crucified with Christ. As a follower of Jesus, I have already died to the flesh. I've been crucified with Christ and I've been raised to life in the Spirit. And when I die, Paul put it this way he said, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you can't kill what is already dead and you cannot kill what doesn't die (laughs) so as the believer my perspective is is i will never die because even when i physically die i am not in this place of in between i am absent from the body i am present with the lord I feel like somebody in the room should be grateful for that today because what that can do for you is that can remove the fear of what happens after you die to know that my eternal life in God doesn't start at the end of my physical death. I am now in eternal life. How do you know that? John 17 and 3 says this. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? To know God. When do I step into my eternal life? The moment you come to know God. Anybody in the room know God? I feel like there should be more. It makes me a little nervous. Anybody in the room know God? You are now living in eternal life. That, that knowledge should change the way you live in the flesh. in this body that you're currently in, that knowledge should change everything for you. To know that eternal life isn't something I'm trying to, to earn or gain access to. But if I know God, I have eternal life. You're not on your way to eternal life. You are living in it right now. Eternal life is your new home. 1 John 4 13 through 18 says this. It says, This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Well, Robbie, I mean, depends on what you mean by acknowledges. I love it because it's like, we are constantly trying to find ways to exclude ourselves from being in God. Anyone who has acknowledged Jesus as God's son, the Bible says God lives in him and he lives in us. And so what do we do? We we don't rely on our own works. He says we rely on the love that God has for us. What are you relying on today? What are you relying on today? Are you relying on your skill, your talent, your ability? Your background? Your pedigree? Your accomplishments? What are you relying on today? The Bible says you should rely on the love that God has for you. How am I going to make it into heaven, Robbie? The love that God has for you. How am I going to fulfill the purpose that God has for my life? By relying on the love that God has for you. Well, I... It it can't be that simple, Rob, like there has to be a one, two, three, a way that I can do certain things and then I'll be able to fulfill the purpose that God has for my life. There might be some things that you have to do, but none of those things will be the thing that ultimately brings you into your purpose If you even discover those things, it will be because you relied on the love that God has for you. And out of living and relying on the love that God has for you, God will show you the things that you can do to fulfill your purpose. The problem with us is we look for a list before we look for love. We look for some points or some things and, you know, I want to have a marriage like they have. And so it's like, what did you do to have that kind of marriage? And they can give you a list of things they did and you can try to do everything on that list. But the problem was, it wasn't the list that made the marriage work. It was a reliance on the love of God, that showed them how to make the marriage work. But our, pro- our problem is we want to start with a to-do list. And so God had to come, and that's why when the Bible teaches repentance, change of mind, that's what Jesus is saying to you. You need to change the way you think. You think that living for me starts with a list. It never started with a list. It's always been about faith. It's always been about believing that I love you enough to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So he says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. Watch what he says. Here's how you have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. It gets really quiet when you say stuff like that. Why? Because your flesh hates that. Because your flesh has built into it. What did did Paul call the flesh in Ephesians or Philippians? Paul said about the flesh, he talked about his law keeping, his, 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 his uh, circumcision, where he came from, his, the, the history that he had, that the Jewish nation had with God. He talked about how he came from this particular tribe of people. He talked about all of these things that, that, that he called the flesh. And he said, none of that profits me anything. So I'm not avoiding judgment <laughs> Because I have the proper pedigree or I have the right background or I'm really good at keeping the law, I don't have to be afraid of judgment because in this life right now, I am as Jesus. And so he says, so because of that, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who is afraid of being punished, he says, has not been perfected in love. Wow. Then I would, tr- I would try to convince you that you don't belong in his presence by making you restless. And I'd make you restless by making you believe that you are never enough. Enough. This is why your flesh hates to hear that you are the righteousness of God. This is why why it gets so weird in church when you start to say that you are as righteous as God. Wait. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Any other righteousness is not enough. (laughs) Why is this important? Because when you believe that you are the righteousness of God, the overflow of that belief is a heart at rest. And your flesh does not want rest. Your flesh wants work. What happened in the beginning? Adam and Eve, you have this life of perfect rest with God. I don't want rest. I want that fruit. I don't want perfect union, face-to-face, walking with God. I want that fruit. And what has God been doing throughout human history since the fall? giving us what we want. Israel said, we want a king. God's like, I'm your king, but whatever you want. Israel gets delivered from Egypt. God says, I want a fellowship with you. I want you to come up here on this mountain and talk to me. No, we're good. Moses, you take care of that. Just give us a list of stuff to do and we'll keep it. That's what you want. That's what the story of the prodigal is all about. He comes to the father and says, This is what I want. Any reasonable human father is not going to do what the father did in Luke 15. You're not going to give your inheritance to an immature, full of self kid. You're not going to do it. What has God been doing throughout human history? That's what you want. Here's, take it. See how far that gets you. So when the time had fully come, Jesus Jesus showed up at a time when humanity had done everything within their own ability to try to satisfy themselves. And Jesus shows up and says, Are you finished with the fruit yet? That's what's happening. So I would convince you that you are still in a state of restlessness because you are not righteous. First John 3:19 through 24 says this, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So if you are sitting in this room today and you feel condemned, you feel condemnation. Your heart is condemning you. But you put your faith in Jesus. What you have to rest in is that God knows all of the things that condemn you. But He is greater than all of those things that condemn you. And the reason the enemy wants you to live in condemnation is because of verse 21. He says, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. Why? Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. See, Robbie, I told you, you got to. Well, well, can you Let's read verse 23. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he has commanded us. You're making it too hard. I'd convince you that you don't belong in his presence. I'd convince you that his presence is a place you go, not a place you live. I'd make you restless by making you believe that you have a dual nature. That you're somehow bipolar in a spiritual sense. That can actually be a natural determination made by doctors. But what I'm talking about is I'm and I've got this fleshy guy who wants to do really bad stuff. And I got this guy who's spiritual who wants to do really good stuff and. I'm in this cosmic battle between the flesh and the spirit. When when Paul talks about the wrestling between the flesh and the spirit, he's talking about the wrestling that happens, (laughs) that we get delivered from when we come into Christ. When Paul goes... The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And the things that I want to do, that's what I don't do. First of all, Paul isn't talking about, you know, I really want to get with these ladies, but (laughs) that's not Paul's struggle. Paul's struggle is there is a part of him that wants to rely on the flesh. What was the flesh to Paul? His pedigree, his background, his law-keeping, his circumcision. Paul says there's this part of me that wants to go fully into Christ, but there's this other part of me that wants to rely on the works of my, on my, on my flesh to get me there. And then he says this, he says, so who can deliver me from this body of death? He said, thanks be to God, it is Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8 and 1 starts, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, you got to think about that for a second. Yes, I will have struggles with my old nature, but I am not in my old nature and in my new nature simultaneously. I will fight patterns of belief, but listen to me, listen to what Mark three twenty five Jesus said this, he said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So if God saved us so that we would for the rest of our lives have this flesh and this spirit and they're just inside of us and they're just waging war with one another, then he saved us to be divided knowing Himself, because those are his words, that a house divided against itself cannot stand. But I'm thankful for Second Corinthians five seventeen when it says, "When if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new is here." Romans 8, 5 through 11, Paul writes this, and he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. When he's talking about the flesh and the Spirit, he's literally talking about the believer... And the unbeliever. He's saying that as an unbeliever, if you have a fleshly mind, then you are hostile toward, you cannot be in Christ and hostile towards God. So what does he say? Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. How do we please God? Faith. So I, if, if I cannot please God, that means I have not been saved. If I am saved, that means I am pleasing to God. So what does he say? you got to keep reading the Bible. Verse 9 says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. How do you know that? If God's spirit lives in you, in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Romans 8 is not a isn't is a conversation about how you have this like flesh and spirit, and you're just like, you know, just uh, you're trying to fight them, and it's trying to convince you that as a follower of Jesus, you are no longer in the flesh. You are a new creation. You are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. And let, now let the spirit of God who is taking control of your life, let him dominate your life and your decisions. You can't have, you can't have good water and bitter water coming out of the same fountain. So this teaching that somehow you, are, you have this dual nature, my goodness, that minimizes what Jesus did and what the indwelling of the Spirit has done in your life. He says this in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Again, he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. As a matter of fact, he who believes in me will never die because I've been made alive with Christ. And then verse 11 says this, And if the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Paul is not trying to convince you that you are dual in nature, Paul is trying to convince you that you are singular in nature, that the flesh has been defeated and anyone who is hostile to God is not of the spirit. That's why the Bible tells you if you have been born again, you cannot continue to sin. It's not that you will not make mistakes. It's not that you won't sin. It's this that you will not make a practice of sin because the one who is born again has the spirit of God on the inside of them and you are now dead to sin. That doesn't mean that I'm, when I get saved, I'm not trying to suppress sin. I have victory over sin. What that means for me is sin starts to lose even its temptation for me. Before when I was unsaved it looked good to me but now it doesn't even look good to me and when I do make a mistake and when I do commit sin all of a sudden I realize that's not my new address that's not my new home that's not my identity I am not in the flesh I am in the spirit Oh man that God does not just give you enough righteousness to get in to heaven He gives us His righteousness so that when we stand face to face with Him, we believe we belong there. In the Old Testament, the word used for presence in the Hebrew was the word panim, which means face or faces. It doesn't even mean presence in a place or a. It's more than that, it's face or faces. When when I say you you live in the presence of God, I don't mean I, I don't mean just a just a residence. And even when I say home, I don't want you to just think of it as home because because for me it doesn't matter where my parents live. Wherever they are is home, right? So. So, so it, it's not just about being in a place that God is, it's about being face to face with God. So the Bible is Jesus and, and the apostles as they write, they're trying to convince you that you belong not just in, in his home, but you belong in his face. Because there are things that I can get from the face that I cannot get from just being in the house. There are things that I get out of conversation and looking in the eyes of my father that I don't get just from sitting inside the room. So religion will make a virtue out of you feeling like you don't belong there and then call it humility. We are the bride of Christ. Of course, we are welcome in his presence. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It has never been about him letting you in. Remember Colossians says, you were alienated from God. Whereat, In your minds. It has always been about, will you allow him You're not standing at the door knocking, trying to get into his presence. He's been standing at the door of your life knocking, trying to get into yours. I think so much of this happens because prayer, communication with God, it's not just about making our requests Prayer is really about peace. Prayer is about surrender. Prayer is about having more peace in you than chaos in the storm. And if I was your enemy, I wouldn't want you to pray with confidence. I wouldn't want you to think you belong face to face because if you ever get face to face then you will never pray a prayer outside of his will you will always wonder what the will of God is if you think you don't belong in his presence if you think you don't belong face to face I don't have to wonder what the, I, what the will of God is when I get the will of God from God How do you know it's the will of God? I got it from his face. (laughs) I don't ever have to question something I got from face to face. How do you know that's what God? How do you know that's what God wants you to do? Because God gave me the idea. This is where God wants you to be in prayer. you have such confidence in your face-to-face that whatever you ask, he's going to do it. Because what you ask, you didn't get from your own desire. You got it from his face. We're going to have to continue this next week. It's already 10.03 and People are already starting to pull in the parking lot for the next service and look at your parking space. And <laughs> I can see the cars, they're just driving by now as we speak. I'm here today to tell you, you belong in face-to-face encounters with God you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I have. Thank God for Jesus. So Father, right now, in Jesus' name, thank you that in this moment, that if we put our faith in you right now, we are seated with you. Right now we are eternal, right now I'm face to face. It's never been a question of whether or not you wanted me in your presence. It's always been, will I allow you in to mine? Will I believe in your son? And Will I believe that your son has given me all the access I'll ever need and that no amount of works, no amount of rule keeping can ever get me where I already belong. And if I can see you face to face, then sin has no hold on me. If I can see you face to face, Old things have passed away. All things have become new. If you're in this room today, you say, Robbie, I feel far from God today. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus or you have and you've been in the flesh, not just living immorally in the works of the flesh, but you've been in the flesh. You've been relying on your own goodness and ability in your relationship with God. You need to repent too. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. When I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air and say, man, that's me. I want I want to feel the nearness of God. I hear him knocking today and I want to allow him. I want to allow him into, into my life. If that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. If that's you, I see you. I see you. I see you, sir. I see you back there. I see you. see you friend amen let's all stand on our feet if we can let's pray this prayer together dear Jesus thank you that you love me that you gave your life for me here's my life take all of it have your way use me for your glory I repent of my sins I repent of my own righteousness I receive yours In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, one more time. Can we just bless the Lord in the room today? Amen.